Welcome, everybody. You're listening to the Benjamin R. Lewick Leadership Podcast, where we believe everyone deserves exceptional leadership. Benjamin brings more than 25 years of leadership and team development experience to the table as he sits down to chat with other seasoned industry leaders and talk through real workplace issues. In each episode, Benjamin identifies action steps that you can start using right away as a leader to address the things that affect personnel, productivity, and profitability. Join us in today's episode as we explore practical and tactical ways that you can create a workplace environment that increases revenue, productivity, and motivation while decreasing stress and personnel churn. Are you ready? Exceptional leadership starts in three, two, one. Hello, everybody, and welcome to today's episode. I am so excited. We've got an amazing guest with us today. His name is Michael Lush. He's the founder and CEO of Lush Enterprises, doing business as Replace Your University. It is an education firm specializing in real-world tactical financial strategies that teach thousands of Americans how to get ahead and stay again. So his clients include executive pastors, the CEOs of major corporations, bank executives, mortgage executives, best-selling authors, and most of all, the amazing blue-collar Americans across this country. Before devoting his efforts full-time to replace your university, Michael is a 17-year veteran of the mortgage industry, serving at capacities from loan officer to senior executive, where he first learned that a mortgage is financial crack to middle America. Michael's authored the best-selling book, How to Replace Your Mortgage, How to Pay Off Your Home in Five to Seven Years on Your Current Income. He's also a contributing author to Forbes, New York Weekly, and Market Daily, to name a few. Michael's a devoted husband and father to five amazing boys, where he instills a life focus on faith, family, finances, and freedom. When he's not in front of the camera, Michael can be found on a family farm tending to his livestock and spending quality time as a hunter with his boys. Welcome, Michael. It's great Thank to you. have you on the podcast today. Yeah, it's actually a good day to, as you do my bio, to wear camo, I guess, right? As a Absolutely. hunter with his boys, and here I am wearing camo. I've got a buddy that uh, he's actually a partner of mine. I, I didn't mention this either. I also uh, own a joint venture of a publicly traded bank, and my partner on the bank side, it, it doesn't matter if it's 30 degrees outside or, or 20 degrees outside. He's got shorts on. He's got the sweater vest a polo underneath, a visor, and golf shoes on. And I, I always make fun of him. I'm like, dude, you're always prepared to play nine or 18 holes. He's like, dude, you're always prepared to kill somebody or something. Because <laughs> I'm always <laughs> in like some kind of fatigue or uh, tactical pants and whatnot. So I was like, well, oh, that's a true story. It is, uh, it is humorous. You know, you and I must have uh, picked up on the same universal wavelength because I'm sitting over here in an OD green polo shirt with yeah. 5'11 tactical pants on. <laughs> you know, being uh, being prior service in the Army, I guess some things uh, die hard. <laughs> I, I'm just not a fashion guru. And I like what I like. And I have a plethora, like, for instance, uh, Costco. The, Costco has what I think is the most comfortable T-shirts. It's the 32 Cool. And every time I'm there, I get a black 32, a pack of black 32 cool T-shirts. And I would say for six or seven years, that's 90% of the time. And my wife hates it. She's like, you've got to switch it up every now and then. But it's easy. I just wake up in the morning, put on a black T-shirt and some tactical pants and head off to the office. Absolutely. No, I. Uh, the majority of the stuff in my, uh, in my closet is blacks, grays, blues, greens, tans. 
things like mm -hmm. that. Well, if you know my wife, of course, she loves her neon colors. Everything's super bright yes. and yeah. and stuff like that. But I'm like, hey, black's a color. <laughs> yeah. Well, hey, when you're redheaded, you've got limited options. You can't be wearing some things that really clash with your skin tone or your hair. So, oh, fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, going through your uh, your bio and everything, it sounds like you have a really amazing professional background. Um, is there anything that you want to kind of expand on to to set up some of our conversation today around uh, leadership and team development? Yeah, I mean, as you read the bio, and it was my mentor said it was uh, mortgage is financial crack to middle America. So. Technically, in my past, I was a financial dope dealer, <laughs> and that didn't sit well. So that that's really what launched the business nine years ago. Um, was I decided I can't do this anymore. Uh, I'm I'm really living a lie. You know, here I am as an executive with uh, at the time a federal bank and uh, overseeing mortgages and you know thousands of mortgages, and then here I am in my own personal life. I'm like I would never consume a mortgage again. It's, it's archaic. It is financial crack to middle America, but here I am overseeing that. So I just felt like a fraud, a fake. And that's what forced me to launch the business. And, you know, when you talk about leadership, um, I was a one man shop for like a year and a half. I didn't have any help. Um, but now that we're at the capacity we're at, it, it's funny because I, it's almost like I was a leader because I was a senior executive and having to manage all these people. And then when I became a solopreneur for a while, and even after I brought finally brought somebody on to help, um, we were still a small company, you know, like five. And now, you know, I don't, I don't know, honestly, how many we have spread out through the different verticals. Um, leadership is having to come back up again. And I'm having to invest in myself to either relearn or, you know, really develop these other folks that are really counting on me to step up and lead. So, you know, I kind of got into entrepreneurship so that I didn't have to manage people and babysit. And I'm not saying I'm doing it now, but, but that's what I was doing in the mortgage industry. Now what I'm doing is cultivating uh, future entrepreneurs and everybody here feels like they, they have a piece of the pie and they own something and they can kind of control their destiny where before I was really just cultivating an, an, an arena of employees that you know, it was a nine to five mentality and they had to show up to get a paycheck and just do enough. So I really like the direction that we're headed in. And now that I'm having to pour into myself. It's really, uh, really interesting what you said there. A couple of key things that I want to extract there real quick. is like you were talking about how in business, a lot of times, especially when it comes to business ownership and leadership and stuff like that, there's seasons. Seasons yeah. for personal growth and development. Seasons for building a team. Seasons for stabilizing and mentoring a team and things like that. It's not always just grow, 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 that grind hustle culture 24-7. It's very seasonal. And yeah. talking, talking through that piece, you know, you're you're looking at it's it's very it's very organic. Mm -hmm. You know, you started off with this whole team of people and you know, transition from this transition from this mindset of like you said, kind of babysitting people who don't have any kind of ownership, don't have any buy-in, they're just there to punch a clock and do as little as they can to not get fired. A lot of times is what I've seen. Right. To now you're creating this environment where you're empowering people to show up as the best version of themselves. So right. It's kind of a phrase that I, I repeat a lot. Yeah. So it, it's funny because we just had a recent conversation on this topic too, as, as a company, because, you know, in the past we were, you know, multiple seven figure company. And, and now that we've grown and scaled, um, 
one of our coaches, uh, Ryan Adele, uh, amazing human being, very talented and bright uh, person. But he he's kind of our consultant and kind of uh, helps businesses scale to the point of sale. We don't want to sell, but you should always build a business and position it and have everything structured so that it's attractive to a sale, right? Absolutely. So that's kind of what, what he's done. And we had a very serious conversation recently where he's like, now that you've kind of built this up, you're kind of at a crossroads where, you know, in business, you, you get above, you know, 50, 75 million a year in revenue. It's no longer a lifestyle business. And he said, I'm just going to be honest with you guys. You have built a lifestyle business. And it, here's the thing. You, you got to take it with somewhat of a grain of salt because to Ryan, uh, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars, everything to him is lifestyle. <laughs> so, like, yeah, I think we worked really hard uh, to, to create this lifestyle business, but I get what he's saying that the, the commitment to get into the nine figures is a whole different type of commitment. And that's what he's having to do in his business and, you know, different circumstances. He's got one kid, I've got five. And he says, yeah, there, there are moments that I'm going to miss out on because, I'm underwater for two or three years. And this is a company that he bought into that two or three years ago, three and a half million. Um, now it's doing close to a hundred million a year in revenue and just had a valuation of 325 million. So he's like, you know, I've got another year or two in this business and you know, we're going to sell it. And that's when I, I can start relaxing a little bit. And so he, he advised us, he said, you guys need to come up and make a decision. If you want a lifestyle business, or if you're willing to commit to that level and, you know, like for instance, he was having meetings on Christmas and he's like, I'm not home. I'm out in Salt Lake city. My home is Columbus. So yeah, uh, I'm having meetings because what needs to be done uh, is not done. So we're going to meet even if it's Christmas and all of my partners, uh, I've got three, they're all family guys. We're all, we're also all Christians and we will not sacrifice something for the almighty dollar. We just won't. We won't sacrifice time with family. And we've kind of built this. And what, the reason why he calls it a lifestyle business, I haven't worked a Friday in years. So Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, I just don't work. Um, I put the phone down and, you know, the goal is to eventually move the needle and my hyper focus to a three-day work week and then not work Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Because I I want to own a business. I don't want the business to own me, right? I don't want to be technically a, a, an employee of my own company. Um, so we had to come up with a decision. And actually the decision that we made is a bit of a hybrid where we're like, all right, we're still going to continue to scale. But as soon as we feel like we're having to sacrifice things, you know, we're, we're going to do it in 90 day sprints. So, hey, for three months, we're going to go underwater, hold our breath, grind things out, get things done. And we call it boulders and level 10 meetings and things of that nature. So we're we're getting all these things and we're, we're determining not how we're going to do something, but who's going to do it, right? And delegating yeah. to elevate. And then we're going to come up for air. And then we're going to take a company vacation. And then we're going to take a family vacation. And then we're going to sit down and say, all right, you ready for the next 90 days? Cool, let's do this. So we're going to do that until we've kind of sense we're starting to get burnt out. And if we feel like we're getting burnt out, then we hire people like Ryan to come come in and we get out of his way and then he takes it to the next level. So we want to be the lifestyle business. And most people, society tells you that if you're your business scale to billions, right? At what price? At the price of your happiness, at the price of your flexibility, at the price of missing out on special moments with your kids or your wife. 
Um, no, actually, we're, we're kind of building a plan that this year we don't work November and December as an executive team. Now, yeah. everyone else is obviously they got to put food on the table, too. So they're going to have to do some things um, to, to keep the company moving forward in a positive direction. That's that's what everybody's incentivized based on company growth. Eighty um, percent of their income comes from what they personally do. 20% depends on if the company's hitting its goals and boulders. So everyone is equally yoked to make sure that the company's moving forward. But as an executive team, we want to do what's required so that November and December this year, we're, we're just hanging out with family. We're enjoying the holidays. So absolutely. I mean, yeah. one of the things that, one of the things that if you get into business and you start doing this the right way, instead of just kind of adopting a freelancer model or just dabbling into solopreneurship and things like this, it becomes, you have this mindset shift where it's really easy to make money and it's mm-hmm. really easy to scale that and start making more and more of it. And at some point you come to that crossroads decision where it's, you have to decide, okay, well, what are the priorities? How do I, how do I rack and stack the priorities in my life for me personally? My priorities are faith, family, fitness, and then freedom, which Mm -hmm. freedom includes the financial aspect of it. You know, my personal faith, I'm a Christian as well. My personal faith is non-negotiable for me. That's where I'm always going to start at because if I don't have that locked in, well, then we get to family. I can't show up as the father, the husband, that leader in my house, in in my my little family unit there. Mm -hmm. And then if I'm sacrificing my family, then obviously you know, it's, it's going to trickle down and things like this. So I have to prioritize family and then my health. Mm-hmm. Like I have to, you know, for me, if, if I'm going to spend time with my family or if I'm going to go do like additional workouts and things like that, it's like, okay, well, I'm going to figure out a way to, to fit out my, to fit my workout schedule in around my family. And then at the end of the day, it's okay. The prioritization. What did you come to on that? Because I, I had, a, I came to my own conclusion, but I'm just curious when it comes to your fitness, what what conclusion did you come to? How, how do you fit that around your family? Because you've got a large family too, right? I do. I have five also. Okay. All right, yeah. Yeah. So, so for me, it's really been, it's really been a modification of my schedule. You know, starting, you know, for almost for almost a decade, I was in the army to where I'd have to get up four or five o'clock in the morning, and we'd go PT as the sun was coming up. So right. I'd get my workouts in before before the kids were even awake or anything like that. Um, it was really easy. Um, or programming programming some kind of uh, progressive workouts throughout the day. Um, I don't know if you've heard of a, uh, of a Russian personal trainer called Pavel Satsulin. He talked about doing a lot of body weight only stuff yeah. um, from, from years ago. I read some of his stuff. And uh, it was fascinating because he had a bunch of studies where he talked about how if you do little bits of exercise throughout the day, you actually see better muscular development than doing one hardcore session for an hour, hour and a half. So I've incorporated that as well to where I've got space in my office to where throughout the day I can get down and I can do push-ups, I can do core exercises, air squats, like body weight only type exercises progressively throughout the day just to get up and move, which they say is even better. If you're having to sit in front of a desk and do things like this, be, you know, be static, it's better for your overall physical health and spine and all this kind of stuff to get up and move anyways. That is good to hear. Not only do I get a workout in, but you know, I'm somebody like, like this, I'm standing, right. And this is a, you can't see it, but it's, it's one of those stand up desks. And in my office, I've got the exact same thing. Stand up desk. I can't sit still. So I didn't know that I was doing this, but I just, to release some energy, I just drop down to do some push-ups and then 
uh, one of my buddies was making fun of me. It's actually one of my day traders. Uh, his office can kind of see out the lobby door into the the main lobby of the building. And so I was went to the restroom on the way back. I'm doing lunches. <laughs> but, yep. He kind of looks out the because our, our front doors are just glass, and he's looking out. He's like, "What are you doing?" I was like, <laughs> "Trying to get it in when I can get it in." I was doing lunches back. I love to it. The, the office, but um, no, I actually. Yeah, you know, one thing that I had an epiphany, and it wasn't really an epiphany, it was really a challenge that started by one of my partners, Edmund Fontana, who's the CEO of Replace Your Employer, and he's our real estate guru, and he decided he was going to do dry January, and I was like, right, I'm kind of looking for a challenge, yeah, I'll do that, and this was on December 26th, so the day after Christmas, I was just like, why wait until January? And I was like, you know what, you know, every, we host for new year's and I was like, if yeah. everybody's coming over, cocktails are going to be shared. If I just start now, December 26 and I get through new year's Eve, then January's a breeze. And so that's what I did. And I said, but I'm going to compound that January 1st. While other people are either hungover or just sleeping in because they stayed up late. And I actually took a nap at like 10 o'clock and then got up <laughs> at 1130 to, to see the ball drop. Cause I was getting up at 5 a.m. the next day. And I was like, I'm going to get up at 5 a.m. and go work out. So I did. And that hasn't stopped. In fact, I've moved the needle forward to 4.30 a.m. Um, because I just, for with five kids and we homeschool and, you know, seven businesses, my wife's an entrepreneur, it's busy. So my time needs to be scheduled around that. They come first. And what I come to the conclusion of is, Either I'm going to do it late at night, like after 8.30 when they go to bed, yep. and which is really going to cut into my sleep, or yep. I'm just going to have to get up early in the morning to do it. So that's what I started doing, and now I'm at 4.30. Next week, I'll move the needle to 4. I'm not going to go earlier than 4, but I read an interesting book uh, called The 5 a.m. Club. Have, have you heard of it or read it? I have. It's in my uh, my Kindle library. Yes. Did you read it, though? It is, it is on my to be read for this year list. Okay. I have not All read right. it. Well, yet. I don't want to give it away then, but it, it's really cool because what you'll you'll like about it is it's not, yes, it's telling you how to, to get up at 5 a.m. and consistently do that, which honestly is not that hard. And I can kind of get into what I do to, to ensure that I get up. It goes over the science of it, which is really cool. So it gives you an extra motivation. You know, and again, I don't want to give away some of the golden nuggets that you'll pick up by reading the book, but like, Things that we stress about and anxiety and all that, it, when you get up early in the morning, it actually impairs your ability to stress and have anxiety. And it allows your brain to get in a state of flow or focus. And so like your big tasks and stuff that you really need to get done and, and have focus. Yeah. If you're like me and got ADHD and it's like shiny object, shiny object, shiny object, <laughs> camera, camera, camera. Lock. Entrepreneur brain. <laughs> yeah. Uh, which is our superpower, right? You know, it's all about perspective. Some people look at it like, you know, dude, that, that really, you can't stay focused. Here at my company, uh, I'm the visionary. I'm the CEO. I'm the founder. I have uh, other uh, integrators, right? So my chief operating officer is Matt, very analytical, can stay focused on anything, borderline genius. Uh, he controls the meetings. My job is what they call, you chase unicorns. You're good at it. And you come up with ideas and other business ideas and relationships. That's all we want you to do because that's what brings the money in. So in our company, the perspective is in, in cultures, that's what we want. Where in other 
you know, societies and, and other business cultures, it's like, you got a disability. No, dude, that's my superpower. So anyways, 5 a.m. club, see, that's ADHD on display right there. But, you know, getting up, I have such mental clarity. Plus, I'm also not drinking. So I'm a client of uh, a longevity clinic down in Miami called Biohacks. Yeah. And it's where they do this extensive blood work and analysis on, you know, your genetic markers and all this stuff. And honestly, they're trying to engineer me into a superhuman, but in a holistic way. Like, you know, it, it's funny because we had a new hire come in and in my office, I've got all these syringes and vials and stuff <laughs> out. And they're like, what is the CEO doing? But it's like I'm shooting up sesame oil and testosterone, um, you know, not like hundreds of units of testosterone, but like to get my, because I'm 40 Regulate years your old. Hormones. Yes, yes, absolutely. Uh, pregnant and uh, vitamin D3 and, and, and K and all this stuff. So anyways, it, it looks weird, but it's holistic. And it's like they, they measure all of that. And I had another buddy, Dalton, when we were down in Mexico for a, a summit. He's like, you know, I know you're drinking. I was like, yeah, we're, we're in Mexico. He's like, you also do biohacks. He does biohacks. And he's like, I do biohacks. He's like, you realize by drinking, you're spending 10 grand every three months. That's what roughly the case is for biohacks for all these supplements. And you might at most be getting 30% efficiency out of it because you're drinking alcohol. And I was like, I did not know that. So then I read a book. I read seven books last week. Again, mental clarity is off the charts when you're feeding your body what it's supposed to have. Absolutely. So I read Alcohol Explained 2. Oh, my goodness. Dry January may turn into dry Q1, Q2, Q3. <laughs> um, man, it's so toxic. And you know, I mean, we all know this. We all know that alcohol yeah. is bad. But, you know, we like to partake in it from time to time. I didn't understand at what level it was bad. And now that I haven't had a drop since de December 26, my supplements are actually starting to take hold. And like I said, I read seven books last week. I'm on pace for 10 this week. Uh, now, when I say read, it's audible at like yeah. 1.75 speed because I have ADHD. Oh, absolutely. But, you know, I, what I've been able to pour into myself because I'm abstaining from certain things because I need to improve, you know, like you, I've got to put content out. Well, if I'm not putting new information in and constantly pouring into myself, I'm eventually going to run out of content to share with people. Um, so that's one of my marketers told me, he's like, dude, you, you just need to read a lot more because you're you basically called me stupid. Now, <laughs> dude, I, I, I've got so much information from the last week from these seven books that I your can't marketing stop talking teams, about. Your marketing team's just like, come on with it. Yeah, like, right. Like this is fire. No, it's, it's, yeah. it's, it is so exciting. Um, it's so exciting to see this perspective to where you, you know, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but for, for lack of a better description, you're, you're viewing yourself like you're a high performance machine, you mm -hmm. know, like a, like a formula one race car or some kind of, you know, rugged terrain vehicle. And you're, you're doing the things to optimize the performance, tweaking that extra horsepower out of the engine, you know, really fine tuning everything to see what you're actually capable of as a human, as a leader. Mm -hmm. It's, it's amazing, you know, and even as you were talking about, you know, doing lunges on the way back from the bathroom, um, my martial arts background and stuff, big fan of Bruce Lee, he, he expressed the same kind of concepts, 
where it's this, it's this lifestyle of constant improvement. You take any opportunity, you know, he would work out while reading scripts for movies or while practicing lines and things like this to where he was trying to maximize the efficiency of his time as a human to see what he was truly capable of. Yeah. One of the books I read last week was mob of mentality, Kobe Bryant. Yep. Uh, really cool book, even from a, a business, especially from a business perspective, I should say. And it, it really illuminates what his mob of mentality was and what, why it set him apart. And I'll be honest with you. Yeah. Talented basketball player, uh, especially coming right out of high school. He was not even 18 when he got drafted. Um, so yeah, athletic six, eight, six, nine could shoot the ball, you know, but when you look at him versus some of the other players in the NBA, it was like, he's not that athletic. Um, and he's not that great of a shooter, but he was, you know, probably, I would say top five all time, uh, NBA player. So in reading the book, he quickly identifies why, um, and there was the uh, the redeem team, right? It's not the dream team, but the the redeem team. Yep. What was that? Two thousand ten or eleven? So it's like LeBron, Kevin Garnett, and you know Kobe was on there. Carmelo Anthony, that was the redeem team. And you know LeBron and, and Carmelo Anthony are talking about how they went out the night before, and you know partied and whatnot, and said that they were coming in to the hotel lobby at four a.m because they, they went hard in the paint and were partying all night. And they passed Kobe uh, at 4 a.m., and he had gotten done with his first workout. So he's drenched with sweat and whatnot, and he's done with his workout. And they were just like, whoa, that's a, that's a different level of commitment. Uh, and now it, it was the catalyst for the Redeem team. They, they stopped going out, and they all started doing uh, workouts in the mornings. But Kobe – um, actually had three workouts he would do in the offseason, not during the season, but in the offseason, right. uh, he had three workouts he would do. And during the season, he had two workouts he would do. So he would have one in the morning where he did a two-hour workout, one in the afternoon where he did a two-hour workout, and another one at night where he did a two-hour workout. And every day, he had to accomplish a 1,000 made buckets, right? Not attempted, yep. made, a 1,000 made buckets. And so I think there's a video out um I recently saw him say this too, that he's like, I don't care what you're doing in the off season because I'm putting in the work, you will never catch up to me. So we've heard that about Kobe, but what I didn't know by reading the book was he, he would, he had really good relationships with the refs and he would cultivate relationships with the refs and he understood their job. In fact, he would read the guidelines, the refing guidelines. And by reading the refing guidelines, he discovered that there were – so when we watch an NBA game, we think that the refs are just kind of running around all over the place. No, it's actually very strategic. So you've got one at the top of the key that's just on, on the court that is running parallel all the time. You have another one on the baseline that's watching the big men and, and any type of physical touches there. And then you have another one on the opposite wing that's kind of watching mid or center court and what some of the guards and forwards are doing. And then they shift when they go down the court. So yeah. he discovered that there's actually blind spots, the areas where players are that the refs cannot see. And that's where he would frustrate his opponents. So 
you know, we, we know that Kobe would not only watch game film, but he he always had to guard the toughest player on the opposing team. Right. So he understood what Chris Paul liked to do. Chris Paul liked to go right. Even though he could go left, he really liked to go right. Uh, Kevin Garnett and, and things of that nature. But what just taking it to a different level where he understood there were blind spots on, on the court, that's where he would uh, bend the rules, so to speak, maybe grab, frustrate his opponent, opponents a little bit and get away with things that, because the refs couldn't see it. And, man, that's just a whole different mentality. I mean, that, that's being a professional. That's being obsessive about the game. And it's a, that's a whole different level of commitment as opposed to I'm just going to show up and have fun and play ball because I'm talented. Yeah, absolutely. It's a completely – I mean, it really is It's a, that leadership mindset looking for those those opportunities to leverage, leverage you know, strategic openings you know we translate that over to business obviously it's like okay i'm going to educate myself as much as i possibly can so that it gives me a perspective so i see things that other people don't see i -hmm. see strategic openings to where i can take another advantage i can you know leverage additional productivity or profitability or you know maybe even crack open a blue market you know and put out some kind of product or offering that nobody else is even talking about or bringing to market yet to really create that that space for radical innovation in your organization and in your brand. Speaking of which, have you discovered Chat GPT yet? I've heard a lot of hype about it. I have Whoa. not had a chance to mess around with it yet. Okay, it, it's going to blow your mind. I have it's... messed around with Jarvis um, with the uh, the copywriting AI with Jarvis. Yeah, this this is different. Oh, well, I would say it, it it's light years. I mean, it's, it's crazy. It, it It's baffling. Um, I, I'm, I'm obviously speechless about it. So we were playing with it yesterday and this is in real time in seconds, like come up with uh, an email um, that is polarizing uh, about why people should not consume a mortgage and they should consume a home equity line of credit. Five seconds it, it wrote an email and we're like, all right, but we want it to be polarizing. Then it starts giving suggestions. Well, you know, we don't really advise that because polarizing could lead to unsubscribes and complaints, which means your email list and domain could get blacklisted. And we're like, whoa, we're like, okay, well then if it's not polarizing, come up with something that's controversial as a headline to grab people's attention. Right. Come up with five within like, five seconds. It came up with five. Bunch of I mean, juicy and, hooks. <laughs> Oh my goodness. And it just, as you're talking to it within seconds, I mean, you're reading this and and again, it's not even connected to the internet yet. This is just conversations that it's having with other companies and individuals, right? So we read this email and I would consider myself, and I know this sounds egotistical, but when it comes to financing real estate, utilizing home equity lines of credit, I or this company, we're we're the nation's leader. We're the gorilla stomping in the mud hole because we've done so much research. I am a banker. I, you know, I technically uh, own a joint venture with a bank. Uh, Matt Workman was managing billions of dollars of funds for Wells Fargo. Uh, Derek was a senior vice president at a large, actually probably second largest lender in the country. We are comprised of bankers. We're in the trenches. We know what's going on and what you should consume and what you shouldn't consume. So I I consider us the nation's expert when it comes to that topic. Now, lots of other yeah. things, complete idiots. That <laughs> one, we've nailed it. And Absolutely. So we're reading this email and we're like, that is spot on. 
And we were watching um, another video where it was being used to do a dissertation on, I forget a topic. And within 45 minutes, it spit out a dissertation on a topic for Harvard. It was Harvard Law dis- dissertation. Yeah. Professor read it and said, I'd give that an A. And it did it in 45 minutes. So one of the, uh, the marketers and copywriters that um, connected with on social media had a great take on it. I really liked it a lot. He said, this is an incredibly powerful tool, but like any other tool, it's only as good and effective as the person wielding it. So if the inputs that you give it and the parameters that you feed into it, um, aren't insightful and, and don't have purpose and direction, then you're going to get a lower quality result than someone that's really clear about what they want from it. And they feed in very specific, very targeted, niched inputs. Right. I see it as something that could compete against Google. And when somebody mentioned that, I've got a publicist. My publicist is Christine Haas. And she mentioned this, um, I think it was last week. Like Google's don't notice. I'm like, I'm only thinking in limited versions that this thing could be used for email copy. And then when we start playing with it, we realize the capabilities are much greater than that. And now that we're playing around with it, I was like, now I totally get why it could put search engines on notice because Google is indexing websites. This is telling you exactly what you want to know without having to click on anything else. So you just talk to it and say, hey, what about this? And it's, again, it's not even connected to the internet yet. Absolutely. So shifting gears slightly, utilizing like all of these different technologies and all these different mindsets, you know, we've had kind of a glimpse into a little bit of your journey as a leader and evolving and things like this. Along the way, what are some of the challenges that you've run into? You know, you talked about starting off coming out of uh, corporate finance and things like this, starting off as a solopreneur and then building a team that grew to five people and then multiple people in multiple verticals across all your brands. What are some of the biggest challenges that you've run into and how did you effectively deal with them as a leader? Or on the flip side, what mistakes did you make that you learned incredible lessons from as a leader? That is so easy. <laughs> so um, the reason why it's easy, it, it was a, a painful process, but one I weathered and, and, and became out victorious uh, with in, in the end. But during the process, it definitely stifled the growth of the company. Uh, we could be where we're at a lot sooner had we not gone through what we went through for about two years. So about a year into or a year and a half into building this company, I built a course and you know, already had clients and I got it off the ground and it was profitable. And, you know, that that's a hard thing to do. I mean, anybody that, that is a business owner and you're profitable, pat yourself on the back. That is not an easy thing to do, especially in, in this kind of market where it's financial education. Dude, that's a boring topic, right? Absolutely. Um, it's very competitive now, too. Yeah, extremely competitive. Now, I happen to be in a niche market where I'm telling you that mortgages suck and they're financial crack to mill America. And I used to be a dope dealer. So let me tell you how to get off the addiction of mortgages. It's a great disruptive position to prove it is. It it helps. It definitely helps. And here's the other thing I had thousands of people that I had doled out mortgages to and I'd kept that database. So I had a list that I needed to call and apologize and say, I thought I was doing the right thing, but I actually screwed you over. And I need to fix it. So that helped. But, you know, I'm a year and a half in and I've got a very profitable business and a lifestyle that allowed me to completely ignore that industry altogether. I went all in. 
And, but I needed help. I was a one man shop. So here I am, I'm doing the Facebook ads. I'm doing the email copy. I'm doing website. I'm structuring course, online course and all that. And, and that's not, that's not my highest and best use. So, um, I was attracted or I was attracted to, um, another gentleman who was a marketer and I ignored all the red flags. This person never made six figures in a year. Um, so if, if you're good at your job <laughs> in this day and age, six figures is really easy to accomplish. Um, it is. And I know I, I say that egotistically, but it, it really is easy if, if you're good at your job, uh, it, especially in sales. I mean, if you're just good at sales, you can make six figures. And this was a person that was also in the mortgage industry and just got fired because they hadn't closed a loan in six months. I'm like, dude, I fall out of bed and close six loans in one month, let alone none in six months. Lots of red flags. Yeah. But I needed to delegate. So I did. And uh, the original agreement was he came on and he would get commissions for any clients he sent my way. So we did that. Then I ignored another red flag. He's like, well, my marketing is so widespread. You got a new website here. We've got YouTube channel and all that. And it, it looked, he was valuable to a degree. Okay. But yeah. not to the point what I did next. So he's like, you know, so we don't know if that client really saw something here and then eventually did this. And then you think it didn't come from a marketing when it really did. So leader attribution, it was kind of murky. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, and again, if, if he's a good marketer, you put things in place so that you do have lead attribution. Google Analytics, is, that's that's elementary, right? I mean, you could use a CRM like HubSpot and it's going to tell you exactly where things come from. Absolutely. But I thought he was the end all be all when it came to marketing. He's a genius, right? Nothing could have been further from the truth. In fact, we have gone through several marketing teams over nine years. That was the worst. And we've, because we've always upgraded, right? And certain teams serve you for a season. They have a specialty. You know, I remember when we got banned on Facebook. Well, we need, that was a rescue mission. So there's a certain marketing team that comes in, gets you unbanned on Facebook and gets you up and running so that you can run Facebook ads. They serve that purpose and they did an excellent job. Yep. But when it was time to really scale, that wasn't their niche. That wasn't their specialty. So we needed to part ways and move on and upgrade. Um, long so story short. into a different season of your business. Yeah. Long story short. And, and this is not a proud moment. Um, I was basically extorted. Uh, I gave him 50. Per, he didn't buy in or anything. I gave him 50% of the company. 50% of the company. Wow. Uh, yeah. And he even had a conversation like, uh, why should you get the title of CEO? I mean, why can't I have the title of CEO? I was like, because I founded the company. I mean, it's kind of a, a no-brainer, right? But again, a red flag. It's like, this dude's ego is really getting in his way. And I just didn't man up and just be like, dude, sorry. I, I got too many red flags. You've never made six figures. You're actually not good at your job. And apparently ego is an issue with you because I'm getting all the attention because I'm actually the one teaching the material and you're just helping bring the clients in. This ain't going to work out. I didn't, you know, I just wanted things to be smooth. And, you know, when I say extorted, it was like, if I'm not going to be a partner, then I'm just going to take my ball and go home. So the website comes down and all this comes down. It was making good money. So I was just like, all right, whatever. You can be 50-50 partner. Fast forward, jealousy, because, you know, if we go somewhere, 
People don't know him. They know me. I'm the one that they saw on TV. I'm the one that they see in the YouTube videos. I'm the one that see in Facebook ads and whatnot. So they're asking me to sign a book and whatnot. I remember I get, he's like, Hey, I wrote a book. When I say I wrote a book, I wrote that book. I didn't. Now he helped publish it, but I wrote every word in that book with the exception of a chapter where I wanted my mentor yep. to talk about infinite banking concepts. So he's like, Hey, we need to do some headshots. So I've got this guy that's going to do headshots for the cover of the book. I'm like, no problem. So I'm in the car and all of a sudden I know he's kind of dressed to the nines too. It's like, you got a meeting? He goes, no. He's like, man, I, I thought since I kind of organized these people to kind of help get the book on Amazon that uh, I could be on the cover too. <laughs> Big red flag. <laughs> yeah. The only benefit was it made me look skinny. But uh, other than that, I'm like, again, another moment that I'm embarrassed about that, you know, it, it, it's almost like I'm a different person now where I'm extremely blunt and have – clear communication and conversations with people, but I was just like, whatever. Then he started calling himself the co-founder. And I'm like, co-founder of this company? Dude, you came in a year and a half. Well, <laughs> you know, I the, the website, you know, I helped build the website. So I co-founded the website. Okay. But he would always leave that off, right? I'm a co-founder. Um then he became the co-author. So he was on the cover of the book. So he called himself a co-author. I'm like, you didn't, you didn't write, anything. write anything. You didn't come up <laughs> with any of these ideas that are in here. Um, so it ended up got, getting to the point where his jealousy and ego was so much that he actually sued me for my half of the company. And it was reading the claims. It, it was really an insight to you know, a mental disorder and it, it ended up becoming embarrassing for him. And he ended up, you know, having to part ways with the company because if it actually went to court, um, he was going to be in some serious trouble. So um, because he had made claims that he was stating I was doing that we found out that actually he was doing it's like, actually legally inaccurate. Oh, not just inaccurate. We found out he was actually the one doing it. So it was like this weird mental issue that uh, obviously he's dealing with. It did really came to light during that process. Never. So the point of all that, never have a 50-50 partnership. It's a terrible idea because when we were 50-50 and I came up with ideas that would move the needle or we need to do this or we need to cut this expense, he would absolutely disagree with it to the detriment of the company just because we were 50 and there was nothing I could do. Yeah. Um, and, and things that were no brainers, like, Hey, we've got this relationship and this relationship is going to foster this type of income. And really it's passive. We don't have to do anything for it. No, I'm not going to do it. In fact, we got a call from what is now our biggest competitor. And, you know, they're probably several years behind us, but nonetheless, they're in the same industry and they're a competitor to what we do. And they called us years ago and said, hey, this isn't really our specialty, but this topic is a really good lead magnet. Our specialty is this over here, like real estate investing. But this, we're not bankers. We learned this from somebody else on a webinar. And how about we just become affiliates of you guys and we'll send you all of our business and we get a 30% cut. Now, Benjamin, how does this sound to you? 
That sounds fantastic. I mean, as long as the legal paperwork is in place for the finances to where everybody's on the same sheet of music and there's no chance for anybody to get squirrely when it comes to getting paid. I mean, at face value, it sounds like a terrific opportunity. It's free money. I'd jump at it. It's free money. And And exposure to a completely different segment of the market that you don't have visibility in, perhaps. Yeah, yeah. Well, they're doing all the marketing and driving the leads to us and clients to us. We we collect free money, essentially, is what it is. So, you know, I I had a conversation with this gentleman. I said, look, I have a partner, and I'll just be honest with you. He's not easy to get along with. So we'll have a conversation with him. Long story short, we have a conversation with him. and And I told my partner ahead of time, like, look, dude, their marketing's good. They're generating a lot of leads. They could send us business for free that we don't even have to work for. We just need to put them through our system and educate them appropriately. They want to handle the real estate education on the back end. Again, just absolute no brainer. Yeah. Get on the call with this guy. And, he, and you know, I guess what I said was their marketing is on point and he took offense to that. So he gets on the phone and he says, I don't know you. I've never seen any of your marketing, which means you're probably not good at it. And you need to prove yourself. So we're not going to do anything. The only way we're going to entertain this is you go ahead and send us the business. And if it's good enough, then in the future, we can talk business. But right now, you haven't proved anything to me. Talk about somebody that doesn't know how to build a relationship and cultivate a relationship. Yeah, seriously. Now, (laughs) that's our biggest competitor. They could have been an ally. But they're a competitor because of that one conversation. So never be a 50-50 partner. Even if you're 49 and somebody else is 51, at least something gets done with the business decisions are being made. We spent two years because no-brainer ideas were an absolute no to him. He knew he was on his way out. He had no choice. He kind of pinned himself in the corner where he was making mistake after mistake after mistake. And honestly, he just wanted to see it burn on the way out. And because we were 50-50, nothing can be done. So and, for people for people who are listening who are like, oh man, like maybe solopreneurs that are that are inspired by your trajectory in such a short period of time, they're like, man, like that inspires me to really dig in and get after it. And, you know, maybe they're in that position to where they're they're working long days, long hours, wearing 18 different hats. And they're like, I have to delegate to someone. And they're mm-hmm. starting to look to bring people on, you know, or or maybe they were in that position, you know, last year and they've got people. And they have that turbulent relationship. What are the what are the red flags to look for? You know, what are the the indicators as you're looking to build a team? You know, something, some kind of practical, tactical advice that we can give to the listeners to say, hey, here's what you can put in your pocket, your toolkit today to have a positive impact in your business when you're thinking about building a team and and delegating some of this responsibility. Yeah. Number one, attitude is more important to me than aptitude. Aptitude is skills that can be taught. Attitude is something that it's really tough for me to instill that in you. So I am more about attitude and your outlook on life versus how smart you think you are or aren't. It's a great perspective. Yeah. So like this situation, and and here's the thing, I'm not jaded against partnerships. I just make sure that I have the right people in place and are highly vetted and I'm the founder and CEO, so I always maintain control. Equity doesn't have to equal revenue. Revenue doesn't have to equal equity. Just because somebody's a partner, let's say they're a 20% partner, doesn't necessarily mean that they get 20% of the revenue. 
Or even if they're not a partner and no equity, you could actually give somebody 20% of the revenue, right? So don't, a lot of times we make mistakes where we in, in not have a operating agreement yes. and we correlate those two and think that they're one in the same and it doesn't have to be that way. You can give someone revenue, but not equity. Equity is like a, for lack of better terms, a 401k, it's a retirement package, right? That if you sell the business or want to borrow against the business, there are shares there that you own that are valuable. And you don't have to make someone a partner and give them the equivalent amount of revenue. They're they're mutually exclusive. Absolutely. So looking at the the totality of your leadership experience over the last few decades, you know, you know, this amazing story that you shared with us about lessons learned. And I really appreciate your transparency and vulnerability and in, in sharing those mistakes and, and how you have evolved from that. What's the number one piece of advice that you would give to team leaders or to leaders in an organization who are looking to create a more supportive, life-giving environment to where they don't have to deal with toxic situations like this? Allow people to rise to the occasion. I was a control freak where I'm like, all right, I don't trust that this person is going to do it as well as me. So instead of just training them, I'm going to do it myself. And it, it became of how is things going to be done versus who? And now my mindset is different where it's like, okay, all these things have to be done. So I'm not going to worry about how it gets done because we now have talented people that I can trust. It's who's going to do it. Right. So, you know, it's, I go back to attitude, but it's more of a focus on letting people rise to the occasion and removing the ceiling. So if I've got a top sales guy, I'm going to give him whatever he wants. Within reason, I'm not going to give them the company and equity and stuff like that, but you want more pay, you want more, you want the, the ceiling removed, no problem. You, you cultivate a culture that, all right, hey, you're my top guy and or girl, and you don't want to be in the office, no problem. Don't come, do whatever you want. Whatever makes you happy, you're the top guy, you've earned that, right? And let other people see that. Like, dude, if I, if I actually grind, I become the top person, I don't even have to come in the office, right? That That's fine. Now, if your numbers start to, to slack off, because if you're being at home and there's, uh, you know, for me, that's why we have an office because I easily get distracted at home with five kids. Yeah. All right. Well, now it's a different conversation, but if you can continue to be the top guy at home, dude, whatever. Hey, I, I need four weeks of vacation this year. I don't care. You're the top guy. You know, when you have talented people, move mountains for them. That, that's that's your that's your backbone of your company is yeah. those talented people. You, you really focusing, really focusing on being you know bringing on that top talent. You know, doing the vetting process during the hiring and the interviewing and stuff like this. Really keying in on, like you said, the attitude that they have. Do they have a winning attitude? Do they have the right kind of focus? Because skills can always be taught, and then really giving them the space to to live up and grow into their full potential. You know. Mm-hmm. And uh, focusing on results instead of activity. Right. That's amazing. I really appreciate you being on the podcast today, man. It's been an amazing conversation with you. We're going to put uh, more information about you and your company um, and things like that in the show notes. But before we go, is there anything you want to highlight if somebody is like, man, I love what Michael was talking about. I'd love to know more about his brands, more about the, the things that he offers in terms of education and working with him. What's the best way for people to link up with you, to get in touch with you? 
Yeah, just go to replaceyouruniversity.com. Um, and what you'll see is you've got a carousel there, or there of five different companies. Uh, replace your mortgage is the most possible or uh, popular, I should say, because it, it's, it's trendy. Most people own homes and most people, 99% of Americans have it financed with a mortgage and we can kind of correct that. You know, we help people save on average in five years, we save $174,000 of interest that would otherwise go to the mortgage without doing the whole Dave Ramsey thing, without changing your budget, without eating rice and beans. It's just yeah. mortgages are archaic. It's, it is a death pledge. Uh, so if you go to replaceyouruniversity.com, you know, there's multiple products there and verticals that we educate on, pick one, reach out to us. And we, everything is free as far as the discovery call and consultation, we just want to know more about you. And here's a fun fact. 70% of the people that contact us, we don't allow them to become clients. We're very protective about that because we have a 98% success rate. So when people become a client, there's a 98% chance they are going to be successful. So 70% of the people that contact us, we don't allow them to be a client. And actually, I had a conversation on Monday um, where it got escalated to me. And within five minutes, I was like, yeah, you're, you can't be a client. Well, I want to be a client. I, I can afford this. I'm going to, I'm going to pay the fee. I, I want to be a client. Like, mm, no. Well, why not? I don't like you. <laughs> and I own this business and you're not coachable. So and th th that's some reason, some reasons, most reasons is because the average American is living paycheck to paycheck. It's really sad, but yeah. most people are, and this isn't a one size fits all product. So yeah, if you want to get in touch with me, go to replaceyouruniversity.com and uh, we'd be glad to help. Michael, thank you so much for your time and for, for sharing your leadership, team development expertise with us. It's been great having you on the podcast today. Awesome. Thanks, buddy. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us on today's podcast. If you resonate with this podcast, be sure and subscribe so you don't miss any of the future episodes we're going to be putting out. Also, I would personally appreciate it if you take a minute to rate and review this podcast so that other people who would enjoy this content can find it more easily. Also, if you know someone who would like this episode, be sure and share it with them and encourage them to come check out what we're doing over here. You can use the link in the episode description to connect with me on social media. And if you haven't already, go grab a copy of my newest best-selling book, The Antidote. It will absolutely transform the way you think about leadership and developing teams. Until next time, remember, everyone deserves exceptional leadership and you can be that leader.